Hey, before we begin, I want to let you know about a new show from Curious Cast that I think you might be into. It's called Russia Rising. Putin's Russia has been accused of using internet trolls, hackers, and even assassins to influence the West. This new investigative podcast hopes to unravel the giant mystery that is Russia with the help of those who know her best. Russian trolls, hackers, Putin supporters, and even a former KGB spy. Join Global News Europe Bureau Chief Jeff Semple on a journey to find out how Russia has gone from tenuous ally to a potential global threat. Listen to Russia Rising for free at CuriousCast.ca or wherever you're enjoying This Is Why. In this episode, a global news reporter digs deep into exactly what threat from Russia Canada is facing. And most of our nation has been rocked by bitter cold. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. Canada's known for being cold. But this week, it's been, like, really, really cold. Here in Canada, it's going to be an extremely cold night across much of this country and big parts of the U.S. Today, Key Lake in Saskatchewan was the coldest place in Canada. It hit minus 48. At that temperature, frostbite on exposed skin can happen in minutes. There are extreme cold warnings in place tonight for northern Saskatchewan, Manitoba, most of Ontario and central Quebec. The frigid air mass is sweeping across those provinces. Temperatures are dipping anywhere from minus 30 all the way down to minus 50 with the wind chill. Winnipeg continues to be in the grips of a deep freeze as temperatures have plunged to numbers we haven't seen in more than a decade. But uh, as far as the prairies go, minus 50s, even a few minus 60s when it comes to wind chill this morning and uh, even into the... I don't venture out walking. Not in this weather. The mercury plummeted to minus 39.8 degrees this morning. That's the coldest it's been since February 5th, 2007 when the temperature reached below minus 40. They say you can blame it on the polar vortex. A polar vortex has tens of millions of people caught in its grasp. My name is Anthony Farnell. I am the chief meteorologist at uh, Global News based out of Toronto. So let's talk about the polar vortex because it's the phrase that everyone's been using this week. But what exactly is a polar vortex? Well, it's not what most people think it is. I I have had uh, viewers email me saying, is it like a hurricane? Is it a tornado? No, it is a very large feature that exists throughout the entire year. Most of the time, as the name implies, it's over the pole. In this case, the North Pole. And there's also one on the South Pole as well. And sometimes in the winter, as uh, the circulation gets disrupted and weakens, you end up with a splitting of that polar vortex. And occasionally it goes into Europe or sometimes Asia and in this case it's down in North America around the Great Lakes and expanding out so we have uh, abnormally cold air in places that don't typically experience it for several days in a row. Yeah we've had some crazy weather in Canada I mean it's Canada so we expect it to be cold this time of year but we're talking like really cold what were some of the temperatures that we saw this week? 
Well, I, I'm seeing lows uh, in central and northern Saskatchewan and Manitoba, which, by the way, in the end of January, you would expect minus 30s, even minus 40, but minus 50 or colder. And that's just the temperature. But with these polar vortexes, they're not associated with light winds, as you would typically see when you get a big Arctic high coming down and you have uh, calm winds over the snow fields and the temperature drops right by early morning. This is not the case. This comes with wind and those wind chills were anywhere from minus 50 to in some cases minus 60 or colder and rather far south uh, not just the prairie provinces but into places like Chicago where they were threatening uh, all-time record lows uh, for 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 any time of year. Oh, so that makes sense. That's why we've been hearing so much about the wind chill this week. Yeah, and the wind chill is what really makes things dangerous because exposed skin can handle a minus 40 temperature for several minutes. But when you bring in the wind, it basically acts to just take away the heat from your body at a quick pace. And it also takes the heat away from your house, all the cracks in your house. The wind comes through and you're going to notice a lot of Canadians basically anywhere east of Calgary dealing with a big energy bill for January and potentially into February as well. You know, I'm glad we're talking about the wind chill, though, because I've lived in the prairies and I am a believer that wind chill is, in fact, a real thing, that it feels significantly colder when the wind is a blowing. But there was people in Vancouver this week who, come on, let's be honest, they don't really have a lot of experience with wind chill, saying that wind <laughs> chill is just a made up thing. Is it is it a real thing or is it not a real thing? It is definitely a real thing. Uh, our problem as a meteorologist and as people that are on TV trying to trying to display and explain the wind chill is trying to give a number to it, and that is where I think sometimes uh, people are thrown off. Where where a number like minus fifty, what does that even mean? What what does that feel like? And that's when you try and bring it back to okay, this is what your skin will free feel like will freeze in a certain amount of time, uh, but it really is. It's tough to explain. Uh, Kind of like in the summertime when you're trying to explain the field temperature or the humidex. That's that's another tough one. Oh, and you know, all those freezing uh, Canadians in uh, the cities that are right the coldest right now, well, they're going to just completely reverse and there's rain coming and the West is going to get cold. So everything's all changing to start February and uh, that's what keeps my job exciting. So goodbye snow, hello slosh. There we go. <laughs> Thanks so much for chatting with me. All right, take care. Coming up later in this episode. Russia meddled in the last U.S. election. We hear so much about the U.S. election, but what I, we really wanted to get at is whether, you know, Canada and other countries might also be targeted too. You're listening to This Is Why, a national radio show and podcast from Global News. Download and subscribe now. In 2018, we heard a lot about Russian interference in the U.S. election and in the discourse of social media. Now tonight, Facebook is taking new steps to stop election meddling. The term Kremlin troll is a known thing in Russia, but Americans and Canadians weren't prepared for it. We're paid internet provocateurs, worked 12-hour shifts 
distorting the US political debate. The US Justice Department has charged 12 Russians with hacking offences. It's part of an investigation by special counsel Robert Mueller into alleged meddling in the 2016 presidential election. After last week's school shooting in Parkland, Florida, Twitter was flooded with messages and much of this Twitter activity was directly tied to Russian accounts. A big goal of a lot of these influence campaigns are just an opportunity to not only grab attention, but to sow a little bit of discord. In fact, this evening, a new report about Russia's efforts to stir up racial conflict right now inside the United States. 11 of the defendants are charged with conspiring to hack into computers, steal documents, and release those documents with the intent to interfere in the election. After the news broke about what was going on in the United States and in Britain, we started to gain more awareness around how Canada was at risk as well, especially with our own federal election in 2019. On January 30th of this year, the Fed said they had created a new alarm system to protect the Canadian democratic process. It's already chillingly clear how much Russia and other nefarious actors have interfered in other countries. The last U.S. presidential election and the Brexit vote in the U.K. are just two examples. And it's naive to think Canada is immune to it. For the first time ever, our security agencies will provide direct security briefings to key members of national political campaigns. To protect against interference, the feds have formed a task force with members from the RCMP, CSIS and communications security establishment to be on the lookout. And during the election campaign, five senior public servants will decide if an incident is serious enough to publicize. Let me be clear, this is not about refereeing the election. This is about alerting Canadians of an incident that jeopardizes their rights to a free and fair election. On a previous episode of This Is Why, we had a chat with Jeff Semple, the European Bureau Chief for Global News. Now, he spent a bunch of time in Russia investigating what was going on with hacking, troll factories, and election tampering. Here's a throwback to the last time he was on this show. So let's talk about this infamous troll factory, because the image that comes to mind, of course, is that it's a big old warehouse where ugly mythological creatures who are bound to live under bridges are born. But that's not what a troll factory is, is it? No, no bridges. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. And it definitely does not look like any sort of evil lair. I mean, it's a pretty boring, bland, nondescript office tower. It's a few stories tall. Um, and, you know, and the people who work there, again, it was in St. Petersburg. We're talking about the sort of hip young scene. I mean, many of them look like hipsters. Uh, we talked to one of them, Vitaly Vespalov, who uh, got a job there. Early on, back in, in 2014, he was an aspiring young journalist. He just moved to St. Petersburg looking for work, and he responded to an online advertisement for what he thought was a job working for a Russian news website. He thought it was a job in journalism, and you know, but it only took a couple of days before he realized he'd been hired as a professional troll. The term Kremlin troll is a known thing in Russia, but Americans and Canadians weren't prepared for it, he said. His job then was to write basically fake news and, and propaganda-filled stories about Ukraine. My job was to write 20 news articles a day full of pro-Kremlin propaganda, he says, and then share the articles using fake online accounts I created with photos taken from real profiles, usually women, because they were considered more trustworthy. And then he would post those articles everywhere on the Internet, from 
online dating websites to Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and so forth. We were the pioneers of this work, he says. I never imagined then that it would become an international story. That's pretty basic sort of system that they started with, but as we know now, that evolved. And now, Jeff is back with a new podcast of his own. It's based on all of that work he did in Russia. It's called Russia Rising. Jeff, where the heck in the world are you right now? <laughs> well, actually, I'm in I'm in Toronto right now, so that's an easy one okay. uh, to start. But yeah, we have we've been busy. I'm not in Russia, but uh, was there not long ago, and uh, have been sort of working busily to try and put together some of the tape from the great interviews we got while we were there, and looking forward to sharing that. What was it like recording and filming and and interviewing people in Russia? I think that so many of us have this idea that you may be fairly restricted in what you're able to collect while you're over there. Did you find that to be the case? Yeah, you know what? I was surprised that it it wasn't the case uh, to a large extent, to be honest. Uh, I've been uh, to Russia a few times, and certainly the first time I was there, you know, I had some conversations with people, but wasn't really sure what to expect. And I I think some people have this sort of almost like a North Korea-like image, you know, in North Korea where you get off the plane if you're a journalist and you are followed the whole time by a government minder and you're showed, you're only allowed to, you know, take pictures of what the government tells you you can, that sort of thing. Russia's nothing like that. I mean, it's a very open... Uh, place for, you know, a a foreign journalist to visit, Um, you know, and certainly for the types of things that we were doing, you know, our prearranged interviews, you can, you know, take the subway, talk to people in a park. It's not very restrictive. In fact, in fact, there's actually less red tape in, in some instances in Russia than there is in other European countries like the United Kingdom, for example. Um, so, you know, it is in, in that respect, of course, you know, it's important to remember that, that you know, it, it, can, it is a, still a very dangerous place to be a journalist in Russia, particularly for Russian journalists. But in our experience there, it was pretty easy to move around and, and talk to the people we wanted to speak with. Although with that said, I mean, you were really digging to get to the root of Canada's relationship with Russia and in many ways how Canada may be threatened by some aspects of Russian politics. I spoke to you previously about the troll factory, of course. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we that was one of the stories we'd highlighted a little while ago was the, you know, the idea, the questions around, you know, we hear so much about this, these troll factory in St. Petersburg and, you know, whether Russia meddled in the last U.S. election. We hear so much about the U.S. election, but what I we really wanted to get at is this time is whether, you know, Canada and other countries might also be targeted too. And of course, this is a big year in Canada with the election coming up later in 2019. So, you know, to get at, at that question a little deeper, we spoke to actually a, a former professional internet troll who used to work at that now notorious uh, troll factory in St. Petersburg, who has no doubt that, that Canada would, would should expect to be targeted, um, other countries as well. Uh, Canada perhaps more than, than others because of our close relationship and our close proximity to the United States, which is really has been the main target. Um, in fact, you know, through the interviews we did, we realized that the amount of troll activity that we were seeing coming from this 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 factory actually increased after the last U.S. election when Donald Trump became president. So you know it sort of challenges the you know widely held belief that 
this was a campaign about that U.S. election and that when the, the election ended, the trolls stopped working. And that's not true at all. Our, our investigation has uncovered quite the opposite, that they are still, um, you know, working to meddle in elections like the one happening in Canada a little bit later this year. And we also spoke, Nikki, to a former KGB agent um, who wow. was quite fascinating to talk to. He actually went to the same KGB school at right around the same time as... Russian President Vladimir Putin. And uh, so he had a lot of really great insights uh, in terms of, you know, why Putin might want to do this and really talked a bit about, um, you know, the Kremlin's desire to create disunity and sow division, not only within a country like Canada or the United States, but between Western countries to try and weaken an alliance like NATO, for example, that often stands in opposition of the Kremlin and, and President Putin, particularly when he's throwing his weight around on the world stage. You've been spending a lot of time putting together your new podcast, Russia Rising. Is there one episode in particular that you're really excited about airing? Oh, the, the episodes are like my children. I, I love them all equally. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's funny. I, I mean, I've just learned so much in doing this. You know, as a, as a Canadian correspondent based in Europe for six years, often cover Russia, right? Constantly in the news, often for the wrong reasons. But this has been a great opportunity to get beyond the headlines and beyond the, the news stories that we so often, you know, report and to go deeper um, and to delve a little deeper. And so I, I really enjoyed doing that. Our second episode focuses on the backstory of President Putin. I mean, this guy that we've heard so much about has been in charge of the world's largest country for almost two decades and yet is such a mystery to so many of us. And his incredible backstory is full of surprises. I mean, he was this... You know, tough kid who grew up in a rough neighborhood, who had a reputation for trying to fight kids who were bigger than he was. Uh, you know, we all know that he went on to become a KGB agent. And we often hear about, you know, he used to be this sort of Russian spy. But actually, he had a pretty non-eventful career until after the Berlin Wall fell. And he found himself as a pretty junior KGB agent with, uh, you know, facing this mob on his doorstep and you know he he actually went out and confronted the mob threatened to open fire on the mob and you know they actually got the situation under control there were so many little stories and nuggets from putin's biography that i think really shed light on who he is what motivates him as a as a as a person as a president and you know i think also helps to us to sort of separate fact from fiction you know when we look at he's so often accused of behaving badly so i think it's quite helpful to try and understand him and what motivates him when we hear stories about russia and we're trying to make sense of them jeff it sounds fascinating i can't wait to hear the podcast thank you so much for chatting with us my pleasure. Thanks, Nikki. Hey, I'm John O'Dowd, co-producer of This Is Why. We managed to get a sample of Jeff's fascinating new podcast, Russia Rising. So here's a sneak peek. It was October 1st in 1939. From the BBC in London, Winston Churchill speaks on the first month of war. And he said this about how Soviet Russia might respond to Hitler's aggression. Russia has pursued a cold policy of self-interest. Churchill admitted he couldn't predict how Russia would act, describing the country as a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Eight decades later, and that definition of Russia still rings true. But how has the world's superpower gone from tenuous ally to potential threat? 
Russian spies are trying to hack into millions of devices. A breach could allow hackers to obtain anything from personal information to financial data and passwords. The FBI indicted 13 Russian nationals and said the Russians used social media to sow fear and discord in the United States. Russia has been accused of attacking the West using trolls, hackers, even assassins. The government has concluded that it is highly likely that Russia was responsible for the act against Sergei and Yulia Skripal. And yet, despite all of that coverage and attention, for many, the world's largest country remains a giant mystery. One this program hopes to unravel with help from those who know her best. I'm Jeff Semple, the Europe Bureau Chief for Global News, and this is Russia Rising. On this podcast, we'll hear directly from Russian trolls, hackers, Putin's supporters, even a former Russian KGB spy who trained with Vladimir Putin. I'll be on the ground gathering their stories and others to piece together the puzzle, separate fact from fiction, and unravel the mystery that is Russia. Subscribe for free now at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Why is produced by John O'Dowd, who you heard in this episode, and me, Nikki Reitmeyer. It's a national radio show and podcast. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts from. Give us a rating and a review, and tell your friends about us as well. We're on Twitter at This Is Why, and you can always send us an email, thisiswhy at curiouscast.ca. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.